Praise the Lord, somebody. Give God some praise, somebody. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, worship team, for bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Thank you, all of you, for coming to worship the Lord with us. We are glad that you are here. Um, touch your neighbor. Let them know that you're glad that you're glad that they're here. Amen. What a week, what a week, what a week. Um, so let's get started. We started last week our new series, which is um, Blessings, and it's a, a, a journey in the book of Ephesians. Um, and, and I want to start by emphasizing Ephesus, right? Putting an emphasis. You, you ever been on, um, anybody you ever went on travel outside the country? Yeah, where, where'd you go? I see, I hear Mexico, I hear. Anybody went to Europe? No, we're not that fancy yet. Haiti? Anybody went to Haiti? Amen. Hallelujah. And, and, and so when you go on vacation, when you take a long trip, especially into a culture you don't know, um, nowadays what we will do, we will Google, right? We will Google the destination, the customs, where we're going. I know here, for instance, we went to a mission trip to Mexico several times. And, and what you have to understand, you have to understand the local customs so that you know how to behave, right? You have to understand how they would view certain things so that you don't offend them or that you don't, you know, act inappropriately in that context. And so it is similar when you study a book of, of scripture that you understand the context, right? Our job here is to make disciples, right? Uh, I think sometimes we, we, um, we, we mistake where we come, right? We come to church. We come to church not for entertainment. That's the movies. We come to church for discipleship. Amen. We come to, ch uh, to church to be equipped for the work that God has called us to do. Um, and so as we study the book of Ephesus, I, I, I want to take a moment to emphasize how important the city of Ephesus is in the Bible. In the New Testament, it is a very important city, the city of Ephesus. Um, Paul the Apostle spent three years there. And then, so we're going to start in Acts chapter 19 before we go in our passage for today. Acts chapter 19, verse 10 to verse 12. Uh, Paul um, spent three years there doing ministry. Now, one thing that you have to understand when you read the scripture when you read the Bible, the best way to understand the Bible is with the Bible. The best way to understand what this portion of scripture says a lot of times is to support it with another portion of scripture. So all the letters that you see in, in the, all the books that you see in the New Testament that end with ends, right? Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, those are all letters to actual churches and you, a lot of times you find the foundation of those churches in the book of Acts. So if you want to, you want to understand the context of the book, you need to read the book of Acts for a lot of them, for Galatians, for Ephesians, for Corinthians. You all have parallel stories in the book of Acts. And here we see Paul spent three years ministering in, um, Ephesus. And it says, Acts chapter 19, verse 10 to 12, it says, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. 
God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchief and aprons that had touched him were taken to sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And so this is just a small portion of the work that Paul was doing. He was teaching the word in that city of Ephesus and he was doing it so much that everybody had heard about the Lord. Not everybody received the Lord, but they all had heard. And the ministry that God was doing through him was so powerful that they would take his handkerchiefs. That's on, in Creole, it's on mouchoir. And they would bring it to the, to the, to the sick people and put it on the sick people and they would be well. And they, they would bring on people demon possessed and throw it on them and they would be free. Now, can you imagine during COVID, I come, I get your mask, can I borrow your mask? And it's so powerful, you throw on somebody to get, don't do that, they're going to get sick. But in the scripture, the power of God was so much on Paul that they could take any piece of clothing and bring it to a sick person and they would be healed. That's power. That's a lot of power. But then we jump to chapter 20. And, and, and Paul spent three years ministering to them, but at a certain point he has to leave. And when he leaves, he gives them a warning. And the warning goes like this. He says, I know after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears now I commit you to God to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified and so he gives them the warning that wolves will rise up and I read this passage several times and this time something came out it says so you can expect in in in, a, in, in a, the kingdom of God, you will not Satan is going to send his people to try to disrupt. You know, not everybody that comes to church is Christian, right? But he says something here. He says, "I know that after I leave, wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock." And at that moment, he's talking to the leaders. So that means that the wolves can come even from the leaders. That's why you that come to church, you need to be intentional in your own discipleship in understanding the word and under, and being built up in the word so that if somebody comes even in leadership to tell you something that is not accurate biblically, that you can detect it. It's not sufficient to say, Pastor Perry said it, Brother Dave said it, Pastor Hector, that's not sufficient. It needs to be backed up by scripture. Because scripture is the only and the total authority. And that's why he says, now I commend you to God and to the word that can build you up. So you need to be intentional in your word. And Ephesus is so important that when Paul left, he left behind a leader. And he left behind one of his most trusted uh, sons, spiritual sons, which is Timothy. And he says to Timothy, so the book of Timothy that you see 
Timothy was in charge of the church of Ephesus. And Paul tells him, as I urge you, that's first Timothy one verse, first part of verse three. As I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer. And so that means there were people there teaching false doctrines and Paul assigned Timothy to, to straighten the record. And the last words that we have in the Bible, part of the last words that we have in the Bible for the book of Ephesus, for the church of Ephesus, is are books that are found in Revelation, right? So Ephesus was so important, it didn't get the ministry of only one apostle, the apostle Paul. He also got the ministry of a second apostle, the apostle John. And, and, and a lot of theologians believe that the book of John, the book of first, first, second, third John, were written by the apostle while he was in Ephesus. So Ephesus is central to the will of God. And the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, one of the churches, the first church is the church of Ephesus. And it says Jesus is talking to the, to the, to the churches and he's telling them what they do good and what they do bad. And then he gives them warnings and he gives them This warning to the church of Ephesus, it says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It is telling the church of Ephesus be careful. You've lost your first love. Now, am I speaking to anybody here if I'm telling you, you've lost your first love? You remember when you first got saved, how excited you were for Christ? How inflamed you were for Christ? You went home and you told your parents about it. You went to school and you told your friends about it. But now you're just chill. It's not that you don't love God. It's that you don't have that first love, that power, that passion, Right? And I feel like Ephesus, in a lot of senses, like America. In a lot of senses, like America. Ephesus, we saw a little bit last, last week that it was a business, it was a port city, it was a business city, it was very central. So people would come and to and fro Ephesus for business. America is very business centric. You know, America is where you can make it. America is where you can make money, where you can chase paper. Amen. No amen, okay. Y'all act like you don't want the paper. I know you want the paper. You just seem to want Christ more than you want the paper. And it's a religious center, and but it's lost its first love. America was a country where that, that sent out all the big preachers. All the big preachers came from America. They went all over the world, missionaries. They all came from over the world. Now America needs missionaries, amen. Now we need people from Africa to come here and preach the gospel here. Amen. I don't know if you guys watch what's going on in this world, in this country, but we're lost not only the first love, the second love, the third. We're like probably on the fourth love at this point. We need Jesus in this country. And so Ephesus, in a lot of senses, like America. Later in the book of Timothy, Paul says it's going to come a time where people are going to have an itch in the ear to hear fun stuff. 
to hear stuff that is pleasant to them. And that's what we are here in America. We like motivational speakers more than speakers of the truth. Amen. We want motivation more than we want the accuracy of scripture. And that is the context that brings us into the book of Ephesus. Because when Paul is writing, he's writing with that in mind to, to bring about proper doctrine and proper living. The first part of the book is proper doctrine, then that leads to proper living. If you do not have proper doctrine, you cannot have proper living. And in a lot of sense, theologians, they're going to compare the book of Ephesus to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. The book of Joshua, if you remember, is the book where the people of God go into the promised land to take hold of the promise of God. The book of Ephesus is a book that shows you the blessings that you have in God, in Christ, so that you can seize the spiritual promises that God has for you. And so I'm going to ask you to please join with me in Ephesians. We're going to read the second part now of chapter 1, which is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 12. And please stand for the reading of the word. And I see my kids, I'm going to call you out in five seconds if you don't get up for the reading of the word. Thank you. Thank you. You can do it. You're capable. You Come on, come on. You can do it. All right, here we go. Here we go. Come on, baby girl. All right, if you want, please read with me in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 12. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Amen. Father God, your word is already blessed. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And so, in the blessings that we have. So last week, we saw the blessings that we have from the Father. We saw that from the Father, we have been chosen, we have been adopted, and we have been accepted by the Father. And then Paul continues, he, he pivots to the blessings that we have in Christ. And first is, in Christ, we have redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And, and redemption, other than being the name of a nice, beautiful church, amen, it is defined as release affected by payment of ransom. Now we have to understand this in the context of slavery. When you had, when you were enslaved, whether you were enslaved, um, 
Because sometimes you had a debt that you couldn't pay, which by the way is still happening today where when somebody has a debt that they can't pay, a lot of times the person that holds the debt over them will give them work, but they will pay them like seven cents a day so you can never repay the debt. So you're always working for me, but never getting the benefit of your work until somebody with enough money comes and buys you back and pays your debt. So the definition of redemption is a release affected by payment of ransom. Um, release affected by payment of ransom, redemption, deliverance. And, and you can see when what, what happens when you have a hostage crisis, right? When, when people are kidnapped, a lot of times the kidnappers will ask for a ransom. They'll ask for, for money so that I can release them. Um, I think if you're um, have family in, in Haiti, you might be familiar with that concept, unfortunately. And it says, second part of the definition, it says literally buying back from, repurchasing, winning back what was previous, 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 thank you, forfeited or lost. Oh, the English is living. I might have to switch to Creole. Amen. What we had lost. And so, what he's telling us is that in, in, in Jesus, we are, Jesus bought back, bought back what was lost. He brought back with his blood what was lost. And, but the part that I like the best in this definition is not only the bought back. So we were bought back by Christ. But if you follow with me, it says the emphasis, it emphasizes the distance, the safety margin that results between the rescued person and what pre previously enslaved them for the believer. So, so it's not only that we were bought back. And, and so when, when Adam and Eve sinned, um, we went down, the human race went down, we got under the slavery of the enemy, but Christ came and defeated the enemy. But it's not only that he defeated, he brought us to a safe distance. So what I want to tell you today, and I don't know what I'm talking to, I want to tell you that you're safe. Whatever was oppressing you in the past cannot oppressing you today. Whatever was keeping you captive in the past cannot keep you captive today. Um, there was a story back in a few years ago in Cleveland. There were these three young ladies that were held captive in a house. I don't know if you guys remember that on the news. They were held captive in, in a dingy basement for 10 years. For 10 years, they were, let, they were chained and they were led captive and then they were forced to do horrible things and horrible things was done to them for 10 years. Can you imagine 10 years of your life being spent in a dingy basement? And sometimes the captor would show them videos of people looking for them, but just to torture them. But one day, one of them miraculously was able to get away. And she was able to get away and she ran out and was able to call 911. And she called 911. She says, I'm so and so. I'm at this. Come. And then in minutes, the police came. But can you imagine, even though the police responded fast, it was minute. I guarantee you for her, it felt like hours. 
It felt like I was, it felt like forever. And while she was waiting during that time, you can imagine the, the, the fear that he would come and catch up with her, right? The fear that she, she would be brought back into slavery and that she would hear the, the sirens in the distance. Woo, woo, woo. But can you imagine the relief? When a police car turns the corner and another police car turns the corner and all the cops, they come out and then they go in the house and they bring that guy captive and now he's in chain. Can you imagine the relief that she would feel? Well, that's what Christ has done for us. Where Christ has taken the one that was keeping us captive and put him in chains so that now you don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to fear anymore. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if you want to know how the story ends, I don't like spoilers for movies, but I do like spoilers for life. Where if you look at the end of the book, we won the battle. It's not that we will win the battle. The battle is already won. The devil is already in chain. So the one that was keeping you captive cannot keep you captive anymore. But he only has one trick left. He only has one trick left that he could use. He can lie. He can lie to you. That's the one thing that he could do. And if you believe the lie, if you believe the lie, you believing the lie impedes your capacity to benefit from the truth. It impedes your capacity from experiencing the blessing that comes from the truth. Now, I want to be clear. It does not impede the truth. Because nothing can impede the truth. Nothing. If God loves you, he loves you, period. But now, if you believe that God doesn't love you, then you're not living like someone that understands that they are loved by God. No, Jesus says nothing will snatch him from my hand. But if you believe that you can be snatched from the hand of Christ, now you're not walking with the confidence and the assurance that comes from being in Christ. And then so, so I'll give you an example. Let's say you're on a plane and the plane's about to crash. And I say, okay, here you go. I got a parachute. And you say, no, Dave, I don't need a parachute. I was listening to music last night. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. And you go and you jump. Guess what? You're going to fly, but it's not the sky. You're going to touch, you're going to touch the ground. Right? It's not going to work. And now you deprived yourself from the parachute, from the blessing that the parachute, the safety that the parachute would give you because you believed the lie that you could fly. And then so the devil has no power except the power of lying to you. That's the only power that the devil has. Now, if he lies to you and now you embrace the lie, you get what comes with the lie. You know, there's that old song that says, who report should we, will we believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. And my question for you is, whose report will you believe? Will you believe the report of the Lord? And he says, and what is it? If I could sing, I'd sing it. But his report says, I am free. His report says, I am healed. Whose report are you going to believe? And one of the biggest lies that the devil tells us 
is that, no, no, God, God don't love you that much. No, 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 you're not worth it for God that much. No, 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 uh, you know, you know, like you kind of screwed up. So God is not, and we don't understand the level of love that God has for us. Now, if you want to understand the, the, the value of an item, if you want to understand the value of an item, it's not only in the price tag, right? It, the value of an item is in what somebody's willing to pay for. I was listening to a podcast and this guy bought, and I could get the number wrong, but he got a card. You know those sports card? He bought a sports card for $500,000. That was a sports card. But then a few years later, he sold it, I think, for $2 million. So he made a profit. But he was kind of pissed when he saw that that card sold for $10 million. So the value of the card is not in the paper itself that the card was made in. It's not in the ink that it is. It's in the value that is attributed to the card by the people that are willing to pay for it. Right? And because, and I forget what it was, I think, I want to say it's a Wayne Gretzky, but I could be wrong. It's one of those old, super duper athletes cards. And somebody was willing to pay that much for that card. So if you want to know your value, you need to understand how much somebody was willing to pay for you when you were in slavery. And it says we have redemption through his blood. The blood of who? The blood of Jesus. Now who is Jesus? Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you go and you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that somebody is sitting on the throne. And that a thousand angels are worshiping them. Yeah, a thousand billions angels are worshiping him. And you'll see that the, the whole creation is subject to him. The one that's on the throne is the same one that was on the cross. The one that's sitting on the throne is the same one that shed his blood on the cross. So when heaven had to pay the price for you, they did not send a lower angel. They did not send an archangel. They did not send Michael, one of the top archangels. They sent Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And that's that blood that redeemed you. And that, and that's why I can say with confidence that the, 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 the devil can touch you is because you're covered by the blood. And there's power in the blood. You know, if it was my blood, you might have a problem. If it was somebody else's blood, you would have a problem. But because it's the blood of Jesus, you're covered, covered. And now not only do you have redemption that takes you away from slavery and into, into Christ, into freedom. And then he says, we have forgiveness. He says, so the first part says that we have redemption in him. We have redemption through his blood, but then we have forgiveness of sins. And, and so we sometimes believe, yes, we're saved. But last night I sinned and God is not forgiving that sin. And I want you to understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he forgave all your sins, the past, the present, and the future. He's, he didn't just forgive the, the, the sins of the past. Now the cross for us, it's all in the past. So when he died, he was covering all the sins past, all the sins present, but also all the sins future. All of our sins were all future to him. And he looked and he saw because Jesus, God is out of time, is outside of time. He can see everything. And he says, yes, I know you're going to mess up, but I'm still going to die for you. And I'm still going to redeem you because you have to understand how much I love you. 
He doesn't do it because he has to. He does it because he wants to be. He does it because he loves you. And then he says, in Micah, well, before, forgiveness is dismissal, release, pardon, a sending away, a letting go, or release, pardon, complete forgiveness, re- releasing someone from obligation or debt. In other words, you have a bill that you can't pay. You can't pay that bill. Anybody ever felt that way, man? Now, I know, I know y'all, y'all good, y'all balling, y'all got all your finances together, but you know, at some point, sometimes, you know, maybe things get hard and you can't pay the bill. When it comes to sin, the bill is heavy. Let me ask you, you ever got mad at someone? Let me see your hand if you ever got mad at someone. Let me see your hand if you ever got mad at someone. You know, when, when, when you get mad at someone in a way that's not justified, Jesus considered that murder. Yeah, he said, you heard, thou shalt not kill. But if you get mad at someone in your heart, you've committed murder. How many people, let me see your hands if you ever got mad at someone. Let me see your hands. Let me see how, like you're young, like you have energy. Let me see your hands. Okay. Now leave your hands up. Leave, 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 leave them up. Leave them up. If it was only a one-time occurrence, bring your hand down. If it was only two times, bring your hand down. Okay, if it was more than three times, you can bring your hand down. Well, how do you call somebody that kills more than one person? It's a serial killer. I mean, at that point, right? And, and, and we can go down the line with, with lust. We can go down the line with lying. Anybody, you, you always say the truth, you never lie? No, no, you just lied right now. You just not right now, right? And, and then so now if you would start counting and, 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 and adding all of those, can you imagine the bill? Can you imagine how much you would have to pay? Uh, like I think if you kill someone, it's like 20 years in jail. Now you, 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 you and I, I, I'm with you. I'm not apart from you. We've done that multiple times. So it's multiple life sentences that we would. And so in terms of paying our own debt, we're bankrupt. We cannot pay our own debt at all. But thank God we don't have to pay our own debt because Jesus paid it for us at the cross. Amen. And he says in Micah 7, 18 and 19, he says, and I want you to pay attention to that. If you find yourself in a situation where you're holding your sin against yourself, right? God has forgiven you. But can you forgive yourself? Sometimes we're our, our own worst critic. We're our own worst judge. And yes, God has forgiven us, but we're not forgiven ourselves. He says in Micah 7, 18, 19, he says, Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities in the depths of the sea. 
And, and the word that, that kind of gets to me is he delights to show compassion. God wants to show compassion. Now understand that the sins that you have that you're not forgiving yourselves for, God, him, he forgiven you. So maybe you did something in the past that nobody knows about and it's tough. Like, you know, if people knew what you did, they would kick you out of the church. But you know, God won't kick you out of his presence. You know, that, that thing that nobody knows about, only you and God knows, God sent me here today to tell you it's forgiven. Let it go because I've let it go myself. If God has let it go, why are you holding on to it? And I feel like sometimes we hold these things and we believe the lie that these things are, are, are bigger than the love of God. And so therefore they keep us from going and embracing the love of God because we don't think that we're worthy. But that's nobody. Nobody worthy. Who's worthy? There's nobody. Think about the best preacher you think they ain't worthy. They're not. They're not worthy. But your relationship with God is not based on your worth. It's based on his worth. Your relationship with God is based on him loving you. And the only appropriate response for love is love. Is to love him back. That's it. That's, that's what the whole scripture is about. It's about God loving you. For God to love the world. But then us loving God. Love the Lord your God. That's what, what, what it's about. And so can you let go of that sin. And that belief that that sin is keeping you from God. Because God is there with open arms. But sometimes we hold grudges for ourselves. But we also hold grudges for other people. So my question for you is, if God has forgiven you, why don't you forgive other people? What have they done to you that you haven't done to God? We just established a few minutes ago that we're all of us in God's economy. We're all serial killers. I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. But he's forgiven us. So what is it that somebody else has done to you that you can't forgive. The author C.S. Lewis said in, in, in a quote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We can forgive somebody else because God has forgiven us. And if you have somebody in your heart that you find that it's hard to forgive them, I'm going to give you two things to do. One is remember what you did to God. Go back in your life and remember all the things that you did to God. And God has forgiven you 100%. He hasn't forgiven you 50% or 100% forgiven. When you go to heaven and they look back at your life, your life in Christ is a blank sheet. It's a blank sheet. So remember what you did to God and what God has done for you. But then, if you find it hard to forgive, pray for them. Not pray about them. Not pray, God, you see, you know, let the fire from heaven fall on them. But really pray for them. I remember when I was young, I was reading a passage of scripture 
where um, Jesus goes to a, um, a village, and a Samaritan village, and the village rejects Jesus. And then I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm like, and then the John and James, the apostles, they go to Jesus and says, oh, Jesus, you see what they did? Then they said, do you want us to call the fire from heaven so that it could burn them all? And I was like, yes! Because if you read in the Old Testament, God used that. He used the fire from heaven to burn the enemies. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go in that other gang's territory and I'm going to call the fire from God. I wasn't in the gang, but, you know, you still had the territory. And so, I mean, I keep reading and then Jesus answers them and says, you do not know what spirit is motivating you to do that. I did not come to condemn people. I came for people to be saved. I was like, dang it. So if you have somebody that you're holding in your heart, pray for them. Sincerely pray for them. It is impossible to keep a grudge for somebody that you pray for. Because when you pray, your heart gets closer to the heart of God. And now you start seeing them the way that God sees them. Now your heart and your motivation come and merge with God's heart and God's motivation. And God's motivation is not for for, for cursing people. It's for blessing people. It's not for hurting people. It's for bringing people to repentance. And then so if you are in that situation, what I am telling you is to number one, remember what Christ has done for you. But then number two, pray for them. Pray for that person that, you know, they've done wrong to you. And, 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 and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they did little. Some stuff is really, really, really bad stuff. But Jesus can forgive really, really, really bad stuff. Because he's a really, really, really great God. So we have redemption in Christ. We have forgiveness in Christ. And then in Christ, we find that we are chosen. And, and, and that's a, a little mind. It says in him, we also have, we were also chosen. And, and there's a lot of discussion sometimes in theological circles. If, um, my pastor touched on it last week, is it God that chose you or did you choose God? And, and you know, and they can go back and forth. And there's like books this big written about the topic. But in the end, it's God that chooses us. Because if it's not God that comes, we do not have it in us to seek him. We do not have it in us to seek him. Um, and pastor tells a story where Pastor Alexandre told him, if you ask yourself, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I good with God? That very question that comes in your heart is a question that comes from God. Because the heart that is the standard normal human heart doesn't make, doesn't have that concern. If you have that concern, it's because God is calling you. And, and the way I see it, it's a little bit, you guys remember the TV show, The Voice? The Voice, any voice fans here? And so The Voice is a TV show. It's one of those, um, vocal competitions. And it is set where the judges are sitting down and they're back is to the contestant right so they cannot see who's singing at the audition and now um, they hear the voice and if they like the voice then they turn around right they say i want to recruit you 
And then depending, like if you have a really, really, really good artist, all four of them will turn around. And now comes a little competition. So now one of the judges is a country singer. The other judge might be a R&B and, and, and so forth. Now, me as an artist, depending on the type of career that I want to have, I'm going to have to choose which judge I want to go with. And, and life is a little bit the same. They said that it's not the voice, it's the choice. And you have two judges. One is the devil. And automatically, he, bing, he turns around, he wants you. Automatically. You don't have to know how to sing. You don't have to do nothing. He wants you. Right? But then the other judge is God. And automatically he wants you too. Right? And he went all the way to the cross to show you that he wants you. So now the question now is, what kind of, not career, but life do you want to live? Do you want to live the life that this guy promises? Or do you want to live the life that this one promises? In one life, the devil says, I will give you fame, and I will give you fortune. And that might be very well true. You look at some of those celebrities out there, they made that deal. Amen. Mm. Mm. Yes, amen. Even some, even some of the celebrities you like, they made that deal. But John 10 says what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy so yes, I can give you fame and today, but in the end, you're going to be steal, kill, and destroyed. Whatever he gives you, it's not for free. It comes with a price. It comes with a price. So now imagine you're at The Voice and one of the judges, and you want to sing R&B, let's say, and one of the judges is R. Kelly. You going to pick R. Kelly? No, you ain't, because you know he's about to go to jail. Right? So you're not going to pick because you know he's going down. And that's what happened with the devil. The devil's going down. Well, Jesus says, you know what? If you come to me, the other part of, of, of I came for my sheep to have life and life abundantly. Maybe you won't make a million dollars, but you're fulfilled in life. Maybe you're not famous and everybody knows your name, but you don't need everybody knows your name. You only need God to know your name. You only need that when you get in front of the throne of God, they look in the book of life, that your name is in the book of life. It don't matter if a billion people know you if your name is not in the book of life. But if your name is in the book of life, that's the only one that I need to know the name of. That's the only one I, I need to know my name. And I only need to know one name. I don't need to know Musk. I don't need to know Bezos. I don't need to know Gates. I, I need to know the one that has the key to the gate, which is Jesus Christ. This is the only name I need to know. It's the name of Jesus. And then so for some of you, you have a choice. What you going to choose? Are you going to choose the one? Yes, maybe he can give you fame, fortune. But then you end up bad. And I don't want to use examples. But you know how some of those um, popular people, they end up. Or do you want to take the hand of the one who loves you? And the one that says... I will give you life and I will give it to you abundantly. He says, in him, 
we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And, and I'm going to tell you, I am like dumbfounded. I'm amazed, right? Because when you understand that God has chosen you, that he came for you, and he decided a lot of times, like, so this passage talks about us being in Christ. We are in Christ. And, and it's a great thing. Um, but understand that you are in Christ because Christ is in you. And I'm like, I don't know why. That's the one thing, you know, I, I try to understand things, right? I try to understand things, you know, I understand the stock market, understand this and that. But I cannot understand why God would come down and establish his home inside of us. I don't have to understand it. I just have to receive it. I just have to receive it. And my challenge to you today is to make the right choice. If you haven't received Christ, you can receive him right now. And you don't have me in your heart. You can say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I want you in my heart. And he says, in him, we were also chosen, being predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And then I'm like, okay, well, so then God, what is your will for my life? Right? What is the will for my life? And understand that God has put his blessings inside of you. I don't know if you guys watch the news but there's a bank who collapsed. Like bank, you, you have your money in the bank and boom, the bank, the bank is bankrupt. And the people who has money, who have money in the bank, the question is, are they going to get their money back? And a lot, a lot of those, uh, those, um, customers are businesses. And I like, you say, okay, well, Dave, uh, aren't they insured by the government or whatever? Yeah, but they're only insured to a certain amount. And those companies have more than 250000 in the bank because they're companies. Some of them have $2 million in the bank. And so the question is, are they going to see the money back? And, and we don't know. We don't know. They don't know if they're going to see their money. So they went time for payroll. Can you imagine you go to work and they can't pay you your payroll? But a lot of times I feel like we're like that bank. Where God put his deposit in us. But my question is, is he going to get a return on his deposit? Is he going to get a return on his deposit in your life? And I'm here to tell you this morning, this afternoon, yes, he's going to get his, his return on his investment. Verse 12 says, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. God has called you. God has redeemed you. God has forgiven you and God has chosen you, but he's chosen you and did all of that for one reason, so that he could get some praise out of you, so that he could get some glory out of you, so that you, your life, and, and some of you, I know you're just chilling in life, you just, but I'm going to tell you, God is going to get some glory out of your life. You don't see it yet because you cannot see the future, but God sent me here to tell you, God is going to get some glory out of your life. Your life is not going to be in vain. Your life is not going to be as put the cross, the blood, everything for you to get a, for him to get a return. And the return that he wants is praise and glory. You know, that's the only thing that you can give to God. 
You, you know, you can bring money to church. You can't do that. You can, but the only thing that you can really give God is praise and glory. And your life will be for the praise and glory of God. God bless you.